Now, you might have noticed this, and I, this is not how I want to start my message, but um, there's a little panic up front a minute ago because we forgot to put in the, um, what I'm doing here and what I'm saying don't have anything to do with each other. <laughs> it's going to sound, uh, we forgot to put in the notice on the, on the thing that the worship leaders get, um, announce an offering. So we don't send plates around in this service. You see boxes here. There's boxes up on the exits. If you have something that you would like to give to God um, when you leave here, please feel free to throw it in a box. Someone will go around and check that out. This, which I'm not going to leave up here the whole time because that makes you look like you're in a fishbowl. Um, this is from Thursday, our Monday Thursday service. <clears throat> um, Pastor Chris and others put that together. It was unbelievable. It was excellent. Um, but he talked about Jesus in the garden when Jesus prays, Father, take this cup from me, uh, if there's any other way, but not your will, mine, or not, not my will, but yours be done. Um, and we, we had a reverse communion where we came and poured, uh, it wasn't actual blood, but poured blood into the cup of wrath that Jesus took for us. And I just want to remind you of what Max Lucado says about that. He says, in the garden, Jesus made a decision that he valued more. He was willing to go to hell for us instead of heaven without us. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Not, not, not that particular quote, but just that idea. So I'm going to leave this here because the cup of wrath is empty. It has been consumed. It has been taken to hell and left there where it belongs. We're going to be in um, at the end of Luke, but I want to, I want to tell you how the, the book of Luke begins. I mean, there's some other, other things in there, but really the announcement of Jesus' birth. Jesus, just so you know, if you're not familiar with, with church, if, if it's not, if you're not real familiar with the scriptures or even what Christians believe, I'm going to tell you something kind of audacious, all right? Kind of audacious. That wasn't very educated of me. Um, kind of audacious. We believe that Jesus is God in a bod. He's the incarnate, he, he is God made flesh. Now, it's more complicated than God and Abad, but really it's the, the God of the universe became human to save us from ourselves. And that beginning, the a gospel is just, the word gospel means good news. So there's four versions of the good news in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke is the one we've been reading for the last several months. That begins with this. <clears throat> um, angels show up to a bunch of shepherds out in uh, shepherd's field outside of Bethlehem. And just so you know that every lamb that was ever sacrificed in the temple on behalf of the, to, to, to take on the sins of the people, these, these, these lambs were offered as sacrifice. You had to be born in Bethlehem if you were going to be sacrificed at the temple. Jesus happened to be born in Bethlehem. And I don't think it's per, by chance, but um, and when he's born, angels show up to these shepherds in the fields at night and they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people, humanity, on whom God's favor rests. And then later, they're talking to these shepherds, and they say, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for some of the people. All the people. All. Not some, not good ones, not bad ones. All. All the people. So the gospel according to Luke, the story of Jesus' life begins with a proclamation from God's messengers, the angels saying, God favors humanity. Each individual, 
We, we hear later in another gospel that for God so loved the world that he gave his, his, his one and only son so that we wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. This is a phenomenal news that we get so accustomed to, we hardly think about it anymore. So it's good news of great joy for all. And all, by the way, are you part of all? It's not rhetorical. Are you part of all? Okay, so you're not, you're, there's not what God wants for everybody else, and then there's what God wants for me. It's what God wants for all. Now, I'm going to read you the end of the story. There's a little bit more. We'll talk more about that next week, some of these resurrection appearances. But I want to read to you what, what happened in Luke after the, the death. Jesus was betrayed by a friend. He had dinner with some friends, uh, betrayed by one of them, went off to the garden where he chose to take the cup of wrath um, he was resolute after that. He was arrested. He was beaten. He was tried. He was whipped with such brutality that his skin was like hamburger. Then he was killed. And then he was taken down. He was put into a borrowed tomb. He was killed on a Friday. Sunday morning, some, some, of, the, some of his followers are going to anoint his body to take care of it for its final resting place. And this is, it's not a big Part of it's not a huge little section here, but it just says on that day, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm going to pause just for a second because I'm sure you know this. I don't want to be condescending, which means to speak down to. I love that joke. I've been using that for years. No one likes it. I still think it's funny. Um, my friend Bert over here is going, yeah, he has been doing that for years. I'm sure you know this, but the tomb, the, the, the stone is rolled away. You know that wasn't so Jesus could get out, right? It was so we could see. And just like when Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, he comes in riding on a donkey. Um, and everyone's taking their clothes off and throwing them on the ground like a red carpet. And other gospels talks about uh, palms being laid down. It wasn't about the donkey. It was about Jesus. This tombstone being rolled away was for us to see, and we have to come in contact with it and go, what if it's true? See, the scriptures tell us, the Bible tells us that the, the resurrection isn't a witness to believers. It's a witness to non-believers. It's a witness to all of us who go, I'm not so sure I buy the fact that someone could come back from the dead. So we have to look inside that empty tomb, and we have to decide what, we have, to, we have to answer the question, what if it's true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. And I don't mean everything like, well, it means that we have a chance at eternal life. It changes why the stars are in the sky. It changes how, why you breathe every day. It changes why you awaken. It changes every thought you have, every, every, every motive you have. It changes everything. It changes the consequences of everything on the earth, everything that's ever been done on the earth, everything that is being done on the earth, and anything that ever will be done on the earth. If the tomb is empty, it changes everything. If it's, if it's not, or if it's empty, but it, his body was just stolen, if Jesus is just a, 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 a prophet who died and was martyred, and then people wanted to conceive, you know, conjure up something and, 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 and carry out this hoax uh, for, for, for eternity future, then we, those of us who are followers of Christ, are just insane. We're nuts. We're crazy. This is, this is ridiculousness. So, 
It was rolled away so we could see, and we have to ask the question, what if it's true? While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them, and in their fright, the women, they bowed down with their face to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember, remember how he told you that when, uh, while you were still, he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back uh, from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And to the others, it was the women that, that had gone to the tomb. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed, like, seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened? I, I got to speak to Peter about Peter here just for a minute. Um, if you're not overly familiar with the story, or at least even haven't read it recently, um, just go back a couple of chapters later today, like like 22, 23 into 24 here, and imagine if you're Peter. So Peter was a guy that when he was hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus would say, hey, this is what's going to happen. It's going to get ugly. I'm going to be beat up. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be tried. You know, I'm going to have to die. He's like, no, you're not. Don't say that. They'll have to kill me before they kill you. Peter, he, he, he's ready, fire, aim. That's Peter. So Peter, Jesus gets arrested. He gets taken, and he gets he gets he gets he gets, he gets brought into this little court area. He's tried uh, and accused and beaten. Peter, no one gives Peter any credit for this, but Peter made it all the way to the courtyard, right outside of this building where they're where they're about to decide whether Jesus is going to be killed or not. So Peter's right outside of there, and and some people go, "Hey, you're with that Nazarene?" No, no, I'm not. Hey, I seriously, I can tell by your accent that you're one. No, I'm not, and I don't know him. So three times he, he, he denies Jesus. Here's the guy that said, you can, they can kill me before they kill you. So Peter, Peter's in this spot. And then the rooster crows. And he remembers that Jesus said that before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Here's the part we miss in this. And I just want to ask you, if you're a follower of Christ, I want to ask you to become Peter for a minute because all of us are. When that rooster crows and Peter has that revelation like, oh, what did I just do? They grab Jesus and they bring him outside of that building into the courtyard. And it says that Jesus looked right at him. What's he feeling? What's he thinking when he realized that he just said nope to the one he's followed for the last three years? That he just denied the one he said he would die for? What's he feeling like? He's feeling like he has no shot. Until these women come back and they say, the tomb is empty. And the angels told us that he's risen. It seems like nonsense. But to Peter, he had to go take a look for himself. Because maybe, maybe there's a second chance for Peter. Now, you can keep reading the story. Because there's a great second chance for Peter. But I'm going to ask you some questions today. One of them is... Do you believe you need a second chance? Because this is good news for all people. 
So if it's good news for all people, we should figure out what that good news is. See, we know, we say, and we hear, and we learn in Sunday school, it's all good stuff, but why did Jesus come? To save us from our sins. Okay, that's great. That's kind of a blanket thing. Does Jesus loves me? This I know for the Bible tells me so. It's great stuff. I, I, I love it. It's one of those things that, that it should be that simple, and it is. But we kind of sometimes have this idea that Jesus loves me because he has to. He's God. He's got to love you. He loves me like everybody else. I don't think we, we really grasp how deep the Father's love for us is through Christ. See, we're told in Scripture that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Doesn't, if, are you part of all? Okay. We're told that what we earn from our sin is death. That's not death one day. That means that we start off already dead. And I'm going to talk about this, this birth defect that we're all born with in a minute. Um, but that, so all of sin and fall short of God's glory. But yeah, but I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do pretty good stuff. I've never murdered anybody. Da, 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 da. Oh, okay. But Scripture says no one's good. Not even one. No one. Zero. Zilts. Not a nil. Nothing. So we're doomed. We're doomed. If not for someone else paying a penalty we deserve. And here, and I, this is where I don't think, we all, we're Americans, so we don't, we don't really deserve anything. Right? But I'm going to paint this picture for you. I'm gonna, if we can't understand what the grace of God is until we understand why we need it. So here's, in a nutshell, here's, here's the scriptures. When God created humanity, he put them in a garden. And he said, you don't choose anything. In fact, there's, just don't do this, this one thing. Otherwise, every day you ask me what you should do, how you should do it. So walking, talking, knowing, loving relationship with the God of the universe. He would show up and walk with them in the cool of the day. That's why Jesus says, when he, when he says, it's, you know, unless you become like a child, what does a child do? Mom, how do I do this? Mom, can you help me with this? Dad, what do I do here? Um, what's the right thing? They took my toy. It's not fair. Well, yeah, but sometimes you have to share. You know, all that kind of direction that we get. God was giving to Adam and Eve. They had no all they had was the heart that God gave them and the trust in the one who loves them and made them. And then someone came along and tried to convince them that, no, 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 no. You don't have to do it his way. You can do it yourself. You know, so just, and that's the kind of, we took that fruit and we ate it and we said, not your will, but mine be done. And from that point on, still to this day, and for as long as humans walk the earth, we have a broken picker. Our ability to choose is wrong. Every time, what I think, what I hope, what I do, what my motives are, what they're not, all of them are tainted, poisoned, and in some way, dis they're nauseated by the fact that I, me too, decide I know better than God. And we even do it in insidious little ways. We kind of go, well, yeah, but I, I, here, I'll, I'll give you a description. There's an author of a book called The Cure. He describes our sin like this. Sin, it's a birth defect. I mean, every one of us inherits it. Every one of us is born with it. Every one of us starts off dead and separated from God. Great news, Trent. Thanks. Here's an even better picture. This guy talks about our sin. He goes, picture yourself with Jesus. Is he standing on the other side of your, of your sin kind of going like, and he describes that sin as a steaming, rotting pile of cat food and mayonnaise. You know, you ever seen that? The, 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 like the, I'm talking about the, the soft cat food, 
right? Every time you have a thought, every time you do something wrong, every time you shouldn't have done something and you didn't do it or shouldn't have done something and you did do it, that's a can of cat food you pile up. And even if you say, well, man, that's gross. I'm going to get rid of it. Even getting rid of it is adding more to it. You can't. So if between you and Jesus, this steaming pile of rotting cat food and mayonnaise, and we have this idea that Jesus is on the other side of that going, you disgust me. That disgusts me. Clean it up, and then we'll be okay. And when we try to clean it up, we're making it worse. All of our righteous deeds are but dirty rags. That's disgusting. Now, here's one thing. Some of you, you hear that description, you go like, what pile of sin? What pile of steaming, rotting cat food and mayonnaise? I'm, I, didn't, I didn't do that much wrong. That's your pile. Because your picker's broke. Your ability to choose right and wrong is gone. Because it's my will, not yours, Lord. That's, that's why he came. He didn't come so that you could clean yourself up and appease a deity. He came so that you don't get punished for what you deserve. There, there was a, 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 an armed, armed robbery? Armed robbery of a church today in Forest Hills during Easter service. That's wrong. And I want that guy caught. And I want him to pay. And I bet you do too, because people that do things wrong deserve punishment for it. The people that burn down the churches in Sri Lanka today, I hope they catch them, because they deserve the, what they get. I'm guessing you believe, have you ever done anything wrong? Yep. You deserve to be punished. And God says the wages, what you earn from those wrong things, is death. You have a steaming pile of, of rotting cat food and mayonnaise. But here, we think that it means, you know, you made your bed lying in it. But Jesus says, pick up your bed and walk. Your sins are forgiven. That's what Easter is. He proves what he came to do. He beat the enemy of humanity, which is death. And he, he took, he, he was willing to go to hell for you instead of going to heaven without you. So let's think about it for a minute. There's this, there's this story of a, of a guy, a Muslim guy who was converted. He was, he was converted to Christianity in, in, uh, uh, in Africa. His, Dr. Siemens tells this story. He said he, he became a Christian. So his friends came to him and said, why did you become a Christian? And he said, I'll put it to you this way. Well, it's like this. Um, suppose you were going down a road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. And you didn't know which way to go. But there at the fork in the road were two men, one dead, one alive. Who are you going to ask for directions? I'm not going to ask the corpse. See, Christianity has a claim that others have. Some, 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 some religions, whether they be atheistic, theistic, deistic, polytheistic, monotheistic, or otherwise... There are others that have an idea of a God made flesh. There are others that claim that their, that their founder of their religion died and, and then rose and ascended. But there is no other thought system, again, atheistic, whether it's, it's civil, whether it's religious, there's no other worldview that brings this to the table. Grace. Everything else, it depends on my merit. Grace. 
what caste I was born into, how well I do in the rituals, how much I deny myself, how much I give of myself, the different things that I do, the things that I don't do, the way I treat people, the way I don't treat people, all of those other systems have some sense of merit. And Christianity brings this. And I think that's why I think it's from God. Unmerited favor. There is nothing that I have done that makes him love me. There is nothing that I have done that pleases or appeases him. And there is nothing you can do to get rid of that rotting, steaming pile of cat food and mayonnaise. Now, I got to tell you, I was getting ready to, I knew I was going to use this illustration today because I'm trying to, trying to just make it disgusting. But I don't know if you know where my office is. I just needed a little break. It's getting a little intense. I'm going to give you a little break here for a second. We're not, we're not going too much longer. Um, but I don't know if you know my office is, those of you from the church, but uh, it, it's in the old infant nursery. We built this new beautiful nursery and, and I moved down there because it's a little bit quieter and it makes it so I can change clothes between services on Sunday mornings, all that kind of stuff. But if you've ever used, if you used to serve in there, you know that every now and then the sewer gas in this building releases right in that room. I've got more layers of duct tape over the drain in that, in that it, it, it's not coming from the bathroom. It's coming from the office itself. And I walked in this morning. Um, I, was all, I was in here ready to go. And I, had, I forgot my water bottle. So I walked over, opened that door, and bam. And, you know, when you used to go out to restaurants and people were allowed to smoke in restaurants. And, you, you know, you come home and you're like, oh, I have no idea. But just, folks, it's not me. I don't, I don't know, but I get nose blind to it. But every now and then I'll have someone, I'll, someone will come and see me and I'm like, hey, just so you know, when you walk in, not me. It's gross. But now you have, you've smelled sewer gas, right? Okay, that's what your sin smells like to God. Is he going to clean that up? Or does he want you to? See, the answer to the, either of those questions, both of them, is no. He's not going to clean that up. He becomes it. For God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. You need it. I need it. Because there's nothing else I can do. There was a woman, Marganita Lasky. She was a well-known secular humanist. She died in 1988. And on TV one day, in a very candid moment, she said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. You need God's forgiveness. So do I, every day. The beauty for Christians is that we find out that we're, we have been saved from the penalty of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the presence of sin. It's a continuing and ongoing process. It's salvation, sanctification, glorification. You have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin and you will be delivered from the presence of sin. Praise God for this indescribable gift. In 1985, a group of people 
Some of you have heard this story before, and that's fine. But a group of people wanted to get, wanted to clear a short story writer. They were big fans. It's coming up on the 100th year anniversary of his death. Oh, Henry, have you heard that? That, of that short story writer. Um, see, he had been caught embezzling. He embezzled from a bank that he worked at $784.08. And he was convicted and he died. And about 100 years later, his fans were trying to clear his name because it's just a big muddied spot on this wonderful career. And so they started lobbying for a pardon, a posthumous pardon. And they're, they're, they said, no, you can't do it. And why? Well, there's a, there's, a, there's a precedent in United States Supreme Court history that says pardons can't be given posthumously because of this. Back in 1830, George Wilson was convicted of robbing a United States mail uh, and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but he refused to accept it. A matter, the matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, uh, who concluded that Wilson could ha would have to be executed. A pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. He must be hanged. Ah. Here's your pardon. It's just a bunch of paper, ink, binding, glue, and thread. It's signed, it's sealed, it's delivered. It has no power if you don't receive it. Plain and simple, couldn't say it any clearer. And here's the thing, a guy named Carl Menninger, if you're a psych student, you know that name probably. He was a famed psychiatrist. He once said that if he could convince his patients in the psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. There is no more striving. There is no more religion. There is no more appeasement of a deity. There is no more good works to show how good you are. It does not do anything but make the pile bigger. Here's the beauty. Jesus came. He became that pile of rotting cat food and mayonnaise. Every one of them. He consumed them. Took, he became them, took them, left them where they belong. And then he said, no more. No more. You're not going to die. You're not going to pay. I paid. Now, I love my son. I love my daughter. I love my wife. And I love those of you that I know. And maybe I would love those of you I don't know. I don't know. I don't know you. But there is not one person on this planet that I'm going to sacrifice my wife to save. I might sacrifice me to save her or you, but I'm not going to sacrifice. And there's no way I'm going to send my son and say, kill him, not someone else. But God loved you so much, he was willing to sacrifice his son. He was willing to get, and his son was willing to do it. And in the garden, he went, oh, this is going to be, oh, this is going to hurt. The God of the universe, for the first time in all of creation, was separated from himself. If you deserve punishment for having done wrong, God is a God, Jesus is a God, the Holy Spirit is the God that says, you deserve to be punished, I punish me. Praise God for this. And if that doesn't shake you a little bit, it's a heart check time, folks. It is time to ask God to soften your heart.
Because that is what the resurrection means. If he did not come back from the dead, he's just a man who died for a cause. And we're idiots. But what if it's true? If he rose from the dead, it changes everything. So we all have a choice to make. Because a pardon isn't a pardon unless it's accepted. You made your bed, lie in it. Or pick up your bed and walk, your sins are forgiven. You pick. I'm going to say a prayer. If you want to say it with me, just in your heart, you believe this, I can promise you this, that God will forgive you, receive you, and count your pardon as valid, and it, it, it's, it's invoked and powerful, and it can't ever be taken away. And if you don't want to pray this prayer with me, that's fine. Just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, in your head. Or Twinkle, Twinkle, same song, by the way, different lyrics. Before we pray that prayer, if you've kind of got this thing inside of you going, eh, it's Easter. He's supposed to say that stuff. I get it, but I got, I got this. I mean, I can't tell you whose voice that is. It's either your broken picker or it's the enemy of God who tries to get us to pick the wrong thing. But I can promise you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, it is not the voice of God. God will never say, what I did for you is no big deal. And he won't say, wait. Now, if you have that idea, like, ah, I wonder, I wonder. Like Peter at the tomb, cool. That may be God planting a seed that's going to grow, and you can't stop it from growing. But if you have this idea in your head, today's the day. I guarantee it. That is the voice of God. Because the enemy of God and your broken picker will never pick what God wants over what you want. But if you have that thought, today's the day to come to Jesus, he sought you out. He revealed himself to you. And he's saying, I want to take away the old and bring in the new. For if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So let the new come. Let's pray. Oh, God, you're God, and we and I am not but I behave a lot of the times like I am. I think that I can clean myself up and prevent, present myself clean to you. But every time I do that, it just makes it worse. Lord, my picker's broke. My eyes are clouded. I don't understand. But I do know that you're not standing across that pile of cat food and mayonnaise. Instead, you're standing with your arm around me looking at it and going, we'll get to that. Just know I love you. So forgive me, Lord. Embrace me, Lord. And fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord. From this day on, I ask for the courage and the wisdom to choose your will, not mine. And Lord, I pray this in the name of Jesus for the sake of Jesus. And I can even only even I can only even pray this because of Jesus. Amen. Lambs were born in Bethlehem. One was chosen on what we call 
Palm Sunday. On Friday, a priest took the sins of the people and laid it on the lamb. The lamb was then slaughtered. The blood was put on a goat. The goat, the scapegoat, was sent away outside the city gates. And then someone was there to make sure the the goat died so the sins didn't run back to the people. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He was picked, chosen, or chose himself on Lamb Selection Sunday. On Friday, when they put the crown of thorns on his head, that's our steaming pile of cat food and mayonnaise, our sin. He took on the sins of the people. They took him outside the city gate after they beat him, and they killed him. And then they put him in a garden. The whole thing started in a garden, and the whole thing is finished in a garden. Because God loves you so much, I pray that you can say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away my sin. Because, folks, you have it. And then you have a pardon. You have the sin, you have a pardon so that your sins are no longer counted against you. You're the righteousness of God because of Jesus. If you prayed today a prayer of receiving his forgiveness for the first time, the 50th time, the 500th time, I don't care. I I care that you prayed it. I don't care how many times. Someone who's been a believer for 30 plus years just said uh, last week, two weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago said, I felt like I just became a Christian. I hope that happens to you time and time and time. But if you prayed that prayer, say so. Tell someone because telling gives meaning. And the scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now, when we talk about God's countenance being turned toward you, picture this, the person that you love the most in the world, have you ever taken their face and just stared into their eyes? That's an intimate, tender moment. When the countenance of God turns toward you, he's got your face and you have his and he smiles because he loves you that much. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. He has to look on his face. God give you his face and smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ. And he is risen.